Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. I want you to start by just uh, turning to someone that is not a member of your family and tell them, say, I'm glad to see you today. So, Jeff, I don't know who you're going to talk to. I mean, you're up here all by yourself. But turn to somebody and just say, I'm glad to see you today. <laughs> Jeff, we're glad you're here today. We're glad to see you today. Don't you feel better? For some of you, that's the nicest thing you're going to hear all day right there. It just happens. So we can leave. We're done. You know, you have your, uh, your good moment for the day. It's right there. Years and years ago, my dad preached at First Christian Church in Elizabethan, Tennessee. And uh, this was in the mid-60s. It was uh, a, a large church at that time. The church ran about 600 on Sunday mornings, about 350 for Wednesday night for their gathering on Wednesdays. And at that time, 600 was just a, a huge church. There was a fellow who attended church every so often. His name was J.J. Music. J.J. Music had been... Uh, uh, the preacher at that church years and years before, Mr. Music was 90-some years old. He could no longer drive. He couldn't see very well. He was hard of hearing. So the Sundays that he came to church, usually he would call and have a teenager pick him up. And so the teenager would come by and pick up Mr. Music and bring him to church. Mr. Music always sat about where Jeff is, up here somewhere toward the front when he was there. In this particular church, when they had communion time, there was absolutely no music at all, nothing. It was totally quiet. And, of course, to serve communion to 600 and some people took a little while, even though they divided it up between a lot of different guys to do it. But it took a little while, and J.J. Music, being in the front, was one of the first ones served. And so he had already taken communion. He had had his devotion time, and he was sitting there and all of a sudden, he leaned over to the teenager that was sitting next to him, and he had out his uh, worship folder, and he leaned over, and this big, booming voice said, What's next? Oh, yes, money. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money as we do this series on just surviving. We're, we're talking about different things in this series this summer that we deal with every day, things that are part of life, things that are sometimes struggles for us, things that just kind of take us back sometimes. And how do we deal with these from a biblical perspective and how do we look at these from God's perspective? One of the most dreaded days of the year for almost all of us is April the 15th. What happens on April the 15th? Anybody know? Tax day. If you don't have them in by the 15th, that is your drop-dead day. Of course, this year the government's so confused they couldn't even figure out when tax day was. They moved it to some other day this year. But it's tax day. I heard the other day that the IRS is coming out with a new tax form. It is the simplified, simplified form. It only has two lines on it. Line number one says, how much did you make? Line number two says, send it all to us. I mean, that is the most simple you could get, and sometimes I feel like we're moving that direction, don't you, when it comes to tax day. And don't even get me started on gas prices and the other things that are going on right now. We would be here for the next two hours, so we're not even going to go there this morning. There was a survey taken and asked several different questions, but one of the questions that was asked was this. What is the biggest thing that I struggle with 
in my life? Do you know what the number one answer was? Finances. The number one answer of the survey was finances. That's the reason we're talking about, from a biblical perspective, how do I handle these financial pressures? You know, a lot of people think that the Bible is not relevant today. They say, oh, that was written thousands of years ago. How can something that was written thousands of years ago be relevant today? There's nothing in there that really would help me at all. Let me tell you, that's totally wrong. The Bible is as relevant today as it has ever been, especially when it comes to the subject of money and finances. When you look at the Bible, there are about 40 verses that talk about baptism. There's some 275 verses that talk about prayer, about 350 verses that deal with the subject of faith in one way or another. There are about 650 verses that deal with the subject of love, and there are 2,350 or so verses in the Bible that deal some way with material possessions or money or finances. The Bible has tons to say about the subject of money about God and his blessings that he gives to you, and then what we are to do with them. And that's the reason I think it's important for us to stop and think about this whole idea of finances and financial pressures that we have. By the way, this is not going to be one of those typical sermons that you hear on Sunday morning about tithing and how much you need to give to the church and, you know, it's your responsibility. It's none of that. This is a message this morning from a biblical perspective of how do we deal with our own finances? Would you agree that Americans have more than we have ever had before? 20% of Americans have so much stuff that they keep it in storage lockers somewhere. The U.S. has an average of 40,000 storage facilities. And in those facilities, most of us will put things that we never look at again. I mean, you put it in there and you think six months, 12 months down the road, you know, I need to go make sure all that stuff's there. We have sometimes so much stuff that we don't even have room to put it all in our house. Yesterday, I was working outside, outside of the garage. Gail walked out. And she walked out and she stood there for just a minute. And I watched her. She stood there for just a minute. And finally she had this exasperated look on her face. And I said, what's going on? She said, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm ready to get rid of all this stuff. And I'll tell you, we have stuff. So do you. All kinds of just stuff. And we spend money on things that if we actually stopped and looked, we would think, why in the world are we spending money on that? You know that every year there's $58 billion spent on soda products, $24 billion spent on jewelry. Now, some of you ladies are going, guys, you need to work a little harder on that one. Let's get that number up, will you? $8 billion on movies, $13 billion. Here's another one, ladies. $13 billion spent on chocolate products every single year. 
$38 billion in vending machines, $11 billion on video games, $7 billion on greeting cards, $23 billion every year spent on toys, $91 billion every year is spent to make your grass look good. Can you believe it? And then, some of you will love this, $23 billion every year is spent on pets. You know, your dog, your cat. You know, what are you going to do for them? $23 billion every year. So when you look at that, would you agree that we as Americans have more than we've ever had? But with that comes more stress than we've ever had when it comes to the subject of money. The average credit card debt per household in the U.S. today is $6,270. That equates to around $807 billion in credit card debt in the U.S. right now. Americans spend $28.98, almost $29 billion on legal gambling every year. There are 751,000 bankruptcies every year. Compared that to 1980, there were about $287 billion or 287,000 bankruptcies every year. We live in a world where money is creating all kinds of stress. Financial problems is one of the number one reasons for breakups of the home and marriage today. If that is the case, don't you think it's important that we just stop and think about and talk about money for a little while? Your money, your household, how you spend what God's blessed you with. God knew some 3,000 years ago that we were going to be in exactly the situation that we're in right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12 says this, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Did you catch that? What he's really saying is the more money you have, the more stress you have. The more possessions you have, the tougher life is. And that's backwards from the way we usually think. We think, if I had more money, I could relax. If I had more money, I could do the things I wanted to do. If I had more money, I'd have more leisure time. I'd be able to go on those vacations I want to go on. I'd be able to do those things. Let me read you some quotes about people who had money. Henry Ford once said this, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Madonna said, take it from me. Fame and fortune are not what they're cracked up to be. John Rockefeller said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. So if money isn't the answer, what is the answer? How can I find financial sanity in the midst of all this financial stress? I think financial sanity is found not in getting more. Rick Warren, who was the author of many of you will recognize the purpose-driven life, said this, the greatest myth about money is that it will make me more secure. So here's the key, and this is kind of where I want us to park today. The key to financial sanity is our attitude toward money. What do you think about it? What's our attitude? When it comes to your money that you have, that you have been entrusted with, what do you think about it? Again, we're not talking about tithe. We're not talking about giving here. We're not talking about the church here. We're just talking about in general. 
What's your attitude toward money? So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at some principles, some things that will help us develop a proper God-given perspective toward money. And so as we go through these, we're going to rate ourselves with where they are, kind of with a uh, red, yellow, green. Green, I'm doing really good. Yellow, I may need to uh, be cautionary in this area. There may be some things I need to look at. Red, red means I'm not doing so hot in this area. So as we talk about some of these, kind of equate yourself. You don't have to tell anybody what you think, but where are you in this? Here's the first I want you to catch. Don't make money the most important thing. We need to make sure that money is not the most important thing. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Life does not consist, stand on, fall on the things that we have. You know, there are things in life that are a whole lot more important. Jesus actually is saying the most valuable things in life are not things. The older I get, the more I realize that it's not necessarily money. There are a lot of things in life that bring much more joy than money could ever, ever bring. Yesterday, we had a great experience, Gail and I. Our daughter, Karen, son-in-law Jeff live in the house next to us and so we see each other a lot they probably get tired of us but we see each other a lot they have three children Colton who is three and then they have two girls a little older than that I saw Jeff yesterday he came home and he had just come home he said he and Colton had been on a quest and their quest was to get the materials to make a slip and slide for the kids and so they got home, and Jeff made this slip and slide. As a matter of fact, let me show you this video. This is a video of the slip and slide. Now, the, re the only reason I'm really showing you this is I'm showing off some of my grandkids. It really has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about today. I just, you know, Josh is all the time showing pictures of his kids, so I thought I'd show you a video of my grandkids. But Jeff brought home this PVC, and he made this, and the kids were sliding down the hill, and they were having a ball. Gail and I went up and we watched them. We were all laughing and watching them go down this slip and slide that Jeff had made. Let me tell you what, that little bit that he spent, which wasn't much at all for a little bit of uh, PVC and a couple of tarps, it brought way more joy. We were all laughing at the kids and they were having a ball yesterday. You see, don't make money the high priority. Sometimes it's just spending time with family. Sometimes it's just doing things with family. It's important what our view of money is and what it really brings. There's an old story about a Native American. He was walking through New York City with a friend right in Times Square, downtown Manhattan. It was in the noon hour. There were people everywhere. There were taxis screeching their wheels. There were cars that were honking the horns. I mean, it was as loud as it could ever be. And all of a sudden, the Native American looked at his friend and he said, I hear a cricket. And the friend said, there's no way you can hear a cricket. I mean, listen to all the noise around here. How would you ever hear a cricket over top of all this noise? He goes, no. He said, I hear a cricket. And the friend says, you've got to be crazy. There is no way. He said, I'm sure of it. The Native American, he crossed the street, and on the other side of the street, there was a concrete planter that had plants in it. 
And he walked over and he looked and there was a cricket in this concrete planter. And the friend goes, how in the world did you hear that? You must have superhuman ears if you could hear that through all of this noise and all these things. And the Native Americans goes, no. He said, my ears are no different than yours. I don't have superhuman hearing. He said, it depends on what's really important to you. That's what you listen to. And the guy still went, I, I can't believe it. That's impossible. Native American said, let me show you. He reached into his pocket and he took out some coins. And he dropped the coins on the sidewalk. And immediately everybody around stopped and looked because they heard the coins falling. He said, see what I mean? It depends on what's important to you. Let me give you another example. Moms, have you ever been out in the playground, maybe in a store somewhere, or doing something else? You may have been in the house, your kids were in the backyard, and there was all kinds of noise. You really didn't hear any of it. But all of a sudden, you heard a cry, and it was one of your kids. You heard it over top of everything else, everyone else, no matter what was going on, you heard it. And immediately you reacted. reacted. Why? You heard what was important to you. Don't make money the most important thing. So how are you doing in this one? Green light, you're pretty good. Money's not the most important thing for you. Or maybe this one's a yellow where you need to start being a little cautious about values and what's most important. Or maybe you're sitting there going, man, my priorities are way out of whack. I need to just get some things straightened out here. Second thing I want you to think about, give to those who are less fortunate. If we're going to get our attitude right about money, we need to think about other people. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I mentioned one of John D. Rockefeller's quotes earlier. Let me tell you a little bit about John D. Rockefeller. He was the first person to ever become a millionaire in the U.S. He was actually a millionaire at the age of 23. By the age of 50, John D. Rockefeller was a billionaire. Everything that he did in life, every decision, every attitude, every relationship, it was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But when he became, when he turned 53, something physically happened. He got a disease, he was sick, he was not doing well, he could not sleep, he could not eat. As a matter of fact, the only thing he could eat was milk and crackers. The doctors, and he could pay for the best doctors there were, the doctors came in and examined him and said, you won't be here a year from now. There's no way that you can survive. We don't know exactly what's going on, but you are going to die within the next year. And as he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrance of a dream that he had. He could barely recall the dream, but he knew it had something to do with not being able to take his possessions with him when he left this life. The man who can control business, he could control people, he could buy anything he wanted, suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. 
And he was left with a choice. And so he called his attorneys, his accountants, his managers all in. And he said, here's what I want to do. He said, I am going to set up a foundation called the John D. Rockefeller Foundation. He said, the mission of this foundation is going to be to help develop medicine and medical procedures so that others who get sick, we can help them get well. It was through the John D. Rockefeller Foundation that such things as penicillin was developed, cure for malaria was developed, tuberculosis, diphtheria. All of those, the funding for those research projects came from the John D. Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, the list of discoveries because of the money that he put in is almost endless. But here's the interesting thing. When he changed his attitude toward money, he began to get better. Whatever it was that was bothering him and going on with him slowly declined. He was able to sleep. He was able to eat. As a matter of fact, John D. Rockefeller did not pass away until he was 98 years old. What was the difference? It was his attitude toward money. Luke chapter 12 says, sell what you have, give the money, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches or destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, Jesus is saying, you only get to keep what you give away. Lay up for your treasures in heaven. And I know that a lot of people here are very philanthropic in what you do. Not only do you give to the ministry at Axis and the work that goes on here, but you give other places to other missions, to other things that are happening, some of those medical things that are going on, some of them are Red Cross kind of things, that you're very philanthropic. And for that, I want to say thank you because it says something about your attitude toward money. So how are you doing in this area? Is this one where you're sitting back going, Mark, I got this one. This is no problem. You know, I, I give and, 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 and I'm happy to do it. Or maybe it's cautionary. You're going, well, maybe I need to change my attitude in this area. Or the red light's flashing going, boy, you are nowhere on this one. You need to work on this one. There's a third one. Third one is don't worry about the future. Trust God. This is one that's kind of tough sometimes. Matthew chapter 6 says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know, there's nothing like being able to relax about money. To step back and go, Okay, God, I'm the steward, but I trust you. I trust you in everything that I do when it comes to money. This is a hard lesson to learn. And the only way it is learned is to sometimes take a step of faith where you have to trust him and then let him come through. Let me tell you a story that happened to us. In 1995, I started a church, New Hope Christian Church in Middletown. Very similar to Axis here and, and, and Axis starting. I started New Hope Christian Church in 1995. There were about 30 of us. The first couple of Sundays, we met in Mom and Dad's living room. 
After that, we moved to Green Tree Plaza, which is just one of those storefront kind of plazas. Has We had a couple of little storefront things where we met for quite some time. We were about 18 months old as a church. And we had a few more than 30 people, but basically still, you know, we were about 30 people or so at that time. And uh, we, were, we were coming along, and there was a church building, a piece of property in Middletown that was for sale. The property was about three and a half acres, had a church building on it, typical church building, had an auditorium, sanctuary upstairs, seat about 300 people. In the basement were classrooms, restrooms, nursery, kitchen, fellowship, all those kinds of things. But on this property was also another building because they had had a Christian school at this particular church. It had a building that had a full-size gymnasium, it had locker rooms with showers, had a kitchen for a school, that type of kitchen, a dining room, offices, big classrooms, all of those kinds of things. I remember one Wednesday night, I told the people, I said, we're going to go look at this building. Now, remember, we're 30 people. No funding, no outside funding. Any of the funding we had basically came from us. There was no way in the world we could ever afford this building. It was impossible. But all 30 of us, we went and we walked through the building and we looked at the gymnasium and we did all of those kinds of things and we were going, wow, wouldn't this be great? Wouldn't it be just super to have this property and this building and all those things? And we went, no way. Well, we did some things. We looked, we talked. Actually, we put a bid in on the property. They accepted our bid. I never anticipated they would accept our bid, but they did. And all of a sudden I went, huh, we have to come up with the money for this. We don't have any money. I called a fellow I knew with Ohio Development Fund, Church Development Fund. His name was Damon Reed. I said, Damon, I said, we have this opportunity to buy this piece of property. It has three and a half acres, told him about it and all that. And uh, Damon said, you know, we, we'll work with you and, and, you know, we'll see what we can do. I said, Damon, there's one thing you have to know about this, though. I said, I'm just telling you right now, we cannot make the payment on this property. Now, have you ever gone to the bank and wanted a loan? And the first thing you told the loan officer was, uh, we can't make the payment if you give me the loan. Damon went, well, he said, let's see what we can do. So we came up with a plan. Here was the plan. We had to raise $40,000 in 90 days, which we raised $40,000 in 90 days for the down payment. I then told Damon, I said, Damon, let's do this. I said, we can make a partial payment. We're paying $2,000 or some dollars a month now. I said, if you will loan us what we need for the rest of the purchase of the building, as well as $4,000 a month for the next 24 months, We'll be able to make the payment. By the way, the payment on this building was $6,000 a month. I said, we'll be able to make the payment. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, we'll figure out some way to make those payments, full payments, just by the church 24 months down the road. I don't know why in the world they did it, but they said, okay. They gave us the money to buy the property. We bought the property. We moved in. Things were going great. We were using the gymnasium for volleyball and basketball and kids' things and all of that. Church was coming along. It was growing. And about 18 months down the road, I will tell you I'm a little slow sometimes. About 18 months down the road, all of a sudden it dawned on me, I've got six months to figure out how to come up with another $4,000 a month to make the payment on this building. I have no idea how we're going to do that because we did not have the resources at that time. 
I drove on the parking lot one day, and there was a guy that got out of a suburban, big guy. His name was Jim Winkleman. Jim said, uh, we are uh, going to start a charter school in the city of Middletown for ADD and ADHD kids. He said, we've looked all over the place for a building, and we haven't found a building that's suitable for what we need to do. I, he said, I hear that you may have one. I said, buddy, i got the building for you. Come here, let me show you this. So we went over and we walked through that building with the gymnasium and the locker rooms, the large classrooms and all those kind of things. Seven days later, we had a lease in our hand where they leased that building to use for their school. Do you know how much they paid a month for that lease? $6,000. They made our building payment. Besides that... They paid the insurance on it. They paid the utilities on it. And as a church, anytime they were not in it, part of our agreement was we got to use it. So we still had volleyball and basketball and youth activities. We used it on Sunday morning. You see, God took that and provided. But here is the real key to that whole story. If it had not been for a group of people who were willing to step out on faith much, much further than they could see, and we could not see it, I'll tell you that much further than they could see and say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to come together. I don't know how this is going to happen, but we trust you. If that group of people had not been willing to step out and do that, it would not have given, God would not have had the opportunity to say, okay, let me show you what I can do now. It's because a group of people stepped out on faith beyond what they could see that God then had the opportunity to say, let me show you how I'm going to take care of this. Where are you in this area of trust? Are you a green, doing really well, a yellow, you know, I need to step out on faith a little more, a red, going, uh, I don't even know if that story's true. Trust. There's a fourth one I want you to look at. View yourself as God's money manager. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Don't you know that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. The Bible word that we read here, managers, actually the Bible word is steward. We're a steward of what God has given us. God teaches us that we are simply managers or stewards of everything that we have, our health, our family, our talents, our skills, our gifts, our influence, our money. All of those things are things that God has given us for a little while. And there are two truths that you have to know about that. One, God can tell me to give something or use something for him anytime he wants and two i can relax because everything is his anyway you know i am his money manager there's something very relaxing about knowing that i am not the owner of this stuff god is therefore when something happens i can say god it's yours take care of this and i trust you how you doing in this one the idea and the attitude of recognizing that you are the money manager, not the money owner. And then there's a fifth one. Enjoy and be thankful to God for what you have. Philippians chapter 4 says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Or Hebrews chapter 13 says, Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. There are some people who have learned to be content. There are some whom we think probably will never learn to be content. 
there are some who are able to sit back and say, I got this. And some who are continually driving because they're never content and happy. Story about a fisherman who was sitting on the docks one day. He was leaning back and relaxing. A business guy came up, walked up to him. The business guy said, how come you're not out fishing? The guy says, I've already fished today. I'm done for today. The business guy says, you know, if you would get out and do a little more fishing, then you would have more fish to sell and you would have more money. You could buy more boats. You could have a whole fleet. You could buy more nets. You could go out deeper. You could get bigger fish. You could do more than you ever thought about doing. And the guy said, well, why would I do that? And the business guy said, if you did that, then you would have more money and you would be able to do all these things. Your company would grow and then you'd be able to relax and be content. <laughs> and the fisherman looked and said, what do you think I'm doing now? You know, sometimes we just need to step back and say, where am I? Am I content with where I am now? Sometimes imagine that the next big thing will bring contentment. Whatever it is, trust God and follow Him. The opportunity to set outside on a warm spring evening, it's okay. With the wind kind of blowing at you and not driving so hard, you know what? It's okay. It's all right for us to slow down sometimes and be content with where we are. How are you doing with this one? Are you content with where you are? Is this an area you need to think about and work on? Is this one of those where you go, I've never had a content day in my life. You know, I've got to drive all the time. How are you doing with all of these? You see, the bottom line to this, when we talk about money, it is a matter of attitude. What's our attitude toward those financial pressures that seem to be bombarding us all the time? Those things that seem to be trying to push on us all the time. Step back. Realize that, hey, God is in control. He'll take care of this. I just need to follow his principles in my life. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. As you have kind of a quiet time, I want you to think through some of the things that we've talked about. Think through some of these as to where you are with them. Are these areas where most of them you went, I, you know, I'm doing pretty good at these? Or were there some areas where you're going, boy, I tell you, I, I really need to work in these areas? Just spend a moment right now before the Lord and just turn them over to Him, especially if there are areas where you're really struggling. Just turn them over to Him and say, okay, God, I get it. I'm going to trust you, follow you, change my attitude toward all these financial pressures and toward money. And let you just work in my life. And God, we know that in everything, in so many ways, that you are there, you'll provide, you'll meet our needs as you have promised. Sometimes we just need to stop and slow down and look to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.